And let me begin this morning by saying in total understatement, Jesus is unique. Duh. Right? Jesus is unique. Incredibly unique. As a matter of fact, it's actually hard to get an accurate assessment of him because there's very little that you can compare him to. But this morning, I'd like to do just that. To get a handle on just how incredible and incomparable Jesus is, I would like to compare, contrast him uh, to another person who was great, just so that we can see and sense the extraordinary gap that exists between Jesus and everyone and everything else uh, that we know. We've been looking at the books of Leviticus, or Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy over the past two months. And one of the central uh, critical figures of, of those books is the person Moses. Moses is credited with writing the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah or the law. And uh, he was a pretty significant guy. So this morning, I'd like to look at those two together. We've been looking at the lessons and the interactions of God with his chosen people. It's been quite a journey together. Not only his chosen people, but also his chosen leader, Moses. We've seen, as we've seen, Moses was not perfect. He had some weaknesses, but it would be a terrible mistake to underestimate his leadership or his greatness. To emphasize how absolutely great and unique Jesus is, we first have to emphasize how great and unique Moses was. And he was truly great and truly unique among the pantheon of leaders down through history. Certainly in Scripture, he stands out on the Mount Rushmore of Hall of Fame of Faith in terms of leaders. So let's just take a quick look at the greatness of Moses. Here's some of the things about the greatness of Moses. First of all, Moses is universally revered uh, in both Christian and Muslim cultures. Uh, if you want to have a conversation with a Muslim person, just bring up the name Moses and it will click and you'll start right there. He is uh, held in, in high, high esteem by both cultures. Also, some of the greatest miracles in the history of the world were done through Moses. Let's walk back through those. First of all, the ten plagues. We did not spend an extraordinary amount of time, but... Uh, if you go through those chapters, you go through the plagues, each of them uh, mocking an Egyptian god and each of those showing God's greatness versus the false gods uh, was an incredible plague that wrecked Egypt. And then, of course, the crossing of the Red Sea, a par excellence uh, experience that has really, if ever, been duplicated only by Joshua crossing the Jordan River and that wasn't as big. All right? The crossing of the Red Sea to this day captures the imagination of people, even people who aren't believers. Uh, it's something that they think about. One of the things we forget about is how miraculous the giving of the Ten, ten Commandments were. When we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of Moses going on the mountain, he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes back down, and it's all good. But if you read the text, it says he was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking. Now, I can maybe possibly sort of kind of fathom the not eating part for three days and then I'll whine, right? But 40 days, wow, that's a stretch. But then the part of not drinking, that part, how does someone stay alive for 40 days not drinking? And you start to realize the supernatural nature of the interchange and experience between Moses and God when they're on that mountain. And God giving 
the law, the Torah, the command, the commandments there. And then, of course, one we spent time on was the water from the rock. Uh, striking a rock and uh, two and a half million people having, and animals and everything, having enough water to drink out in the middle of a desert uh, would stand as a pretty significant uh, miracle. Other reasons that Moses is a great leader. Moses led approximately two and a half million people through a desert for 40 years. We did a family meal last Sunday. We had about 180. We thought that was a big deal, right? Two and a half million. Can you imagine trying to move a group of people half the size of Seattle through eastern Washington for 40 years? You start to gather, wow, that was really something. The other thing that's incredible about Moses is that God spoke to Moses. It says uh, uh, specifically in Scripture, it says that he spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. God says, when I appoint somebody or he's a prophet, I'll impress him with my spirit and he'll say what I've told him to say. But with Moses, I talk with him as a man talks to his friend. There are very few people in Scripture that actually had that kind of relationship with God where God actually talked to them as a friend. Abraham would be one of them. All right? So Moses stands out in, in real uniqueness that way, even among the greats in Scripture. Uh, the other thing is God told the future of Israel to Moses. He laid out what was going to happen. He laid out how they would fall away. He laid out how they would go in captivity. And he laid out what they would have to do if they were going to return. Long before it ever happened. And if you read Moses' words in Deuteronomy, he tells them what's going to happen. He says, you will surely turn. Which tells you that uh, it's a scary thing. Because God holds the future in his hand and he knows things that we don't know. Another uh, indication of how unique and important Moses was, God hid Moses' body upon his death. Remember that Moses struck the rock twice? We will cover that in just a second. And and we said that uh, because of that, he was not allowed to go in the promised land. He's allowed to go up on Mount Nebo and look, and God showed him the whole land, but he was not allowed to go in. He had to pass the mantle to Joshua And then it says that God buried him there. Uh, We find in other parts of Scripture, we found that Satan and Michael were warring over the body of Moses, and and Michael rebuked Satan. And then it says that God buried him where no man knows where he's buried to this day. And so uh, incredibly unique circumstances around the death and around the burial of Moses. And one of the reasons that the Lord did that is because Uh, Revelation tells us that this Moses will return with another key prophet, Elijah, and they will return as witnesses for this Jesus that we're talking about, and he will come back. So we're talking about uh, one of the two, Moses and Elijah, who will return as witnesses for the Lord. So he is quite possibly, outside of Jesus himself, one of the greatest people who's ever lived on the face of the earth. But in saying that and laying that case out for you, one far greater than a Moses was to come. Uh, You can get the promise of this in Deuteronomy 18. Here's the promise. It says, 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you. As God's giving the landscape to Moses, he said, in the future, I'm going to raise up a prophet, one like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jesus in John 14 said, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Earlier in John 8, he said, I pass judgment on no one. If I, if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written, which there's some irony there. Jesus saying to them, in your law, right? Jesus was part of giving that law, so he's pointing them back to their own law. He says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. One like Moses would come. And then also in the book of Deuteronomy, there's Balaam's oracle. And he said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Balaam was brought by Balak to curse Israel so that they could go to war with them and defeat them. Three times Balaam uh, was called to curse them, and each of the times he ended up blessing Israel. And in the midst of the third blessing, the final one, Balak sees something that is oriented towards the future. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And the scepter is a symbol of ruling. It's a a symbol of authority. One great leader would come out of uh, that. Balaam prophesied about the future coming leader, a Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people who would rule. Hebrews tells us a little bit about this and tells us how Jesus is greater than Moses. When you compare the two, alongside you're talking about greatness in both, but one stands out significantly greater than the other. Hebrews 3, 3-6 says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. How is Jesus unique in that way? Well, if you look at the prophecies that are located in the Old Testament, Jesus would fulfill 353 specific prophecies found in the Old Testament. If you've ever looked some of them up, you'll recognize many of them. And 44 prophecies specifically related to the Messiah. Right? He was long foretold that he would come. Balaam's being one of them. It says Moses was great in God's house, and he was. Moses was used in ways that uh, God has not used other people. God did things through Moses that have, will never happen on the face of the earth again. Moses was incredibly unique, but it's saying that Moses, as great as Moses was in God's house, Jesus is far greater because Moses was in the house, Jesus is over the house. 
Moses did things within the house that God was building. Jesus is over the house that God is building. Just as an architect has greater honor than the builders, so Jesus has greater honor than Moses. And it's based upon what Scripture calls the power of an indestructible life. This is also found in Hebrews chapter 7. The confirmation of Jesus being greater than Moses comes through this explanation of the priesthood. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. So in claiming this and in writing about Moses and Jesus and the greatness of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews goes back before Moses and actually goes back to Abraham and goes back to the story when Sodom and Gomorrah were captured in a, in a war and Lot was taken. Abraham goes off and conquers the king, gets Lot and his possessions and family back. And when he's coming back, uh, this figure, this priest Melchizedek comes out and Abraham gives tithes to this priest. It says that Jesus has become this, the high priest by the power of an indestructible life. With Jesus' resurrection of the dead, he now holds title to indestructible life. With this in mind, if you go back to the story of Moses now, okay, I'll show you the correlation and connection. If you go back to the story of Moses, when he struck the rock, remember what happened there? Uh, they had... They've been yelling at him. They've been ranting at him. They got upset with him. Moses was, the Israelites were fed up. Moses was fed up. And so he says, must I bring water out of this rock for you rebels? And it says that he struck the rock twice. Remember that? And remember for that indiscretion, God reacts immediately and says because of that, neither you nor Aaron get to go into the promised land. And people go, wow, that's kind of harsh. That's kind of brutal, kind of stiff. Why, why would God react that way? Um, well, scripture, uh, scripture tells us that the rock was Christ and that Jesus would only be struck once for the sins of the world. He, never, he would never and will never be struck again. And that's why it was so significant. With these things in place now, we can contrast the difference between Moses and Jesus. Let's take a look at the two of them. All right. All right. Moses was called as a prophet, and a very significant prophet, as we pointed out. Jesus came as the Messiah, the promised one. Moses stood in the gap for the sins of the nation. By the way, one of the things that Moses, if you want to study something, Moses was a phenomenal uh, intercessor. He just had an intuitive knack of knowing how to stand in the gap and pray for the nation so the nation didn't get wiped out. And many times the way he interceded was really counterintuitive to the way uh, we would react most times because if God came to you and said, hey, I, I'm going to wipe these bums out, yeah, that would be good, God. I'll pray for you that way. You know. And, and Moses always stood in the gap to protect him. So Moses stood in the gap for the sin of a nation. Jesus died on the cross for the sin, sins of the world. Moses was called by God to save a nation. 
Jesus was appointed by God as the Savior of the world. Getting the little bit difference in degree and uh, focus here. Moses was given the law. And Jesus' salvation is through him because he fulfilled the law. So the question is just how great is Jesus? Why do we go so all out to celebrate him? Uh, Who are we really dealing with here? Well, Colossians probably gives one of the best snapshots that we could look at when it comes to the greatness of Jesus. In Colossians 1, it says this, The Son, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So what we understand from this passage is that Jesus put everything that we understand in terms of the universe and the world together. This is He who came and walked on the earth for 33 years. Totally God, totally man. The Creator walking on turf, on our turf, playing by our rules. This is He who died on the cross for our sins. His is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. And this is He who will come back for all who love Him and wait for His coming. And this is He who will judge the living and the dead. And therefore, this is He whom we must bow the knee and confess as Savior and Lord. He was lifted up that we might have new life He was lifted up that we might have a loving relationship with the Father. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and get ready to lead us in the songs we're going to close with and help us wrap up. When it comes to a loving relationship, one of the questions is, Jesus becomes great when you understand your need. If you can see your sin, it makes a lot of sense that you need a Savior. If you can't see your sin, having a Savior makes no sense. One of the prayers that I've started to have is that God would start to take the scales off of people's eyes, that they could see their sin and see why they actually needed a Savior. Once, uh, on Good Friday, we had the uh, snake here in the cross, and uh, it was quite an illustration. We went from the lit snake to the lit cross and compared and contrasted back and forth between the two. And one of the things we said about that that situation in the book of Numbers with the snake on the pole is that it was really clear what the situation was because they had been bitten by fiery serpents. They knew they had a problem. They could feel the poison coursing through their bodies. They knew they were going to die. And you had a choice. You could stay stubborn if you wanted to and not look, but you would die. Or you could humble yourself and look at what you loathe and live. It was really clear what the need was and what you had to do. Look, you live, don't you die. And I want to suggest that same situation is true today. With our great Savior Jesus, when you think of that cross and He's no longer on that cross anymore, you have two choices. When you recognize you've been bit, on Friday we asked the question, what snake has bitten you? 
What's tripped you up? And have you looked? Have you looked to the cross? Have you looked so that you wouldn't die in your sins? We say that because it's in Him that we trust. Not just believing, we trust Him. In Him alone do we rely. He, Jesus, is our strength. His righteousness alone covers our sin. And this morning we're going to wrap with two songs that really encapsulate this whole picture. And I want you to use the worship time for your heart. Some of us are really tracking well with the Lord. We're going to celebrate. We're going to smile. These words are going to be really significant. Some of us are going to read those words and go, hmm, I need to connect with that. You know, I know that, but it's up here. It's not here. I need to connect with that. So use the time to connect. Use the time to rethink the greatness of Jesus. Sometimes we can walk away from stuff simply because we don't know what we're walking away from. You ever walked away from something like, man, I wish I'd have grabbed that opportunity if I could have just saw it for what it was, right? Likewise on Easter, see Jesus for who He is. Don't walk away. Let's worship. Would you stand?